Hi, everyone. And we're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? Uh, coronavirus week. Uh, I guess everyone's <laughs> going to be. The good news is that we're, we have great guests. We'll talk specific stuff, but we really want to tell stories because if we continue to always talk about this virus, it won't, it won't be historical anymore. We won't be considering it more time. We want to live like we're, we're fine. So in two weeks when there's no power, and I'll still try to do shows with a generator, yes. right? We'll keep yeah. going and we're, regardless because we're just going day by day, aren't we, Dave? Just like London when the bombs are falling all around them and the sirens are going off. I'll still be doing radio when that happens, okay? Yep. Exactly. And if we're in a bubble, like in Seinfeld, we'll be in a bubble. But we'll still be doing we'll still be doing radio. All right, so introduce our guest, and and it's always interesting to talk to someone that has reached the highest pinnacle in sports, which is an Olympian. So introduce our guest, Melinda Harrison. Melinda is a certified coach, Olympian, published author. Her professional passion is helping clients uh, helps them to navigate the arcs of success, searching for and defining um, a next that works for them. And then supporting those pathways to achievement, she helps her clients embrace both the process of success along with the inevitable challenges that achievement brings. And that is, that's today. You're talking today. And congratulations, Melinda, for uh, taking your previous fame as an Olympian and turning it into something that's relevant and current and that you can actually make money at. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and I, well, I think it's, it's, go ahead. We're just going to say welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I think it's really important to um, talk a little bit about, you know, why am I even in, uh, talking to you two um, from Toronto? Because I had to leave the U.S. unfortunately um, to before they closed <laughs> the borders. Um, oh, sorry about that. I can't wait to come back. But um, you know, this is the coronavirus is something that just came on us. I mean, obviously we knew it was happening in China, but I don't think people really related to the consequences of that. And it's, there's serious mm -hmm. consequences. And, you know, the new shows are, are full of that day in and day out. My passion in our conversation today is really about what is the snowballing effect of the virus on people, uh, specifically athletes. I'm very concerned about them. And, you know, how did I, how did I even become knowledgeable on this topic? Uh -huh. Well, like you said, uh, we had no idea that China was so enveloped. Uh, our leaders just weaved us into China. They, uh, right. they control all of our antibiotics and drugs, and now they're using it as a weapon, threatening us to, uh, you know, uh, be surrounded by the uh, the jungle of uh, Corona, or however they worded it, and, and now we're not we're not allowed to say that it's that the coronavirus came from the city that it came from. Give me a break! But that's that's another topic. Go ahead that and is, tell us what you were going to say. So that is another topic, and being Canadian, I'm much nicer. Don't get me started. <laughs> I won't. So, you know, I about, uh, well, it was 2013, 2012, 2013 was a horrible year for me. I lost my dad to cancer. Oh. My daughter, my last child went off to university. And then 
one of our neighbors and fellow Olympians, somebody I, you know, I knew, I wouldn't call him a really good friend. He died by suicide. And I, I kind of sat back and went like, why, why would he do that? Um, you know, he appeared to have all the success surrounding him. And, you know, eventually that led me to the, how can I help? being an executive coach, being an Olympian, uh, somebody that was deeply passionate about helping athletes. Yeah. And so I actually Definitely. wrote down on a piece of paper in a meditation weekend, if I interviewed 100 people that had succeeded at leaving high performance, most of them were athletes, what would I learn from those hundred people and how could I pass that information on to them? And that is how this book came about. Well, I'm going to take a question. The interesting thing when you talked about this, Melinda, is the fact of the matter of your concern right now with athletes. And I think I, I can, I have a feeling I know what the, the thing is. You're not just thinking of the top professional athletes that aren't playing right now. You're thinking of all athletes in general, that are dealing with the coronavirus, how they, you know, have to train differently, how they're not able to perform in front of an audience, and when are they going to compete again? That's got to be a big concern, especially in your coaching and everything, for high-performance people where they can't highly perform right now because we're all stuck in this bubble that we can't do anything. We're inside. Yeah, did they talk about canceling it, Neil? I, I think they – what city was it going to be in? No, in we're not talking no. – Tokyo. And I think, okay. so yeah. I think the point is really well made in that the, you know, transition and loss and happens to every athlete that commits to sport. So that is your high school athlete that is a senior right now and isn't going to make a college NCAA team. It's also your high school athlete that was trying to make a NCAA team and their season was cut short. So the coach doesn't know the, the um, college coach doesn't know the type of performer he or she is. And it happens to the college athlete that, you know, was training for their major season, season and competition. They're, they're not good enough to be on the national team or Olympic team, but they still train and work as hard as every other athlete out there. And then of course you have your Olympians that, cycle around a four-year cycle their training and competition cycle around this four years and all of a sudden that four years is it could be five it could be four and a half it might exactly. be four yeah uh, who knows and then you have your pro players that are so used to being involved and in the spotlight and out there and I mean, they're, they're, they can't be out there. They're quarantined. So, right. you know. I mean, I just feel, I, can, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I'm an athlete in two different levels where I'm seeing athletes suffering from this. And I'm going to let Dave get to the next question. Uh, first of all, my career in college basketball and in basketball, I couldn't imagine not performing in basketball, especially during March Madness, if I was going to play in March Madness, or even let's just say, have the chance to go to the States or W or, 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 uh, or, conference championships and not be able to play because of the coronavirus i couldn't and then especially then thinking about your next year in college and the recruiting class not being able to see you or in professional wrestling where i was for nine years in the minor leagues to have events canceled every weekend where i'm trying to go out and get discovered to make it to the big time 
Right. Uh, I just those areas where you're, tr and then the training that's involved, Dave, that's lost uh, oh. because of the coronavirus. That you need high performance training facilities. It's very hard to train on your own, especially this time. We, we Melinda and I, probably could train better individually by ourselves than kids today that are have performance coaches and have different training facilities and they're pushing them to do it and now they don't go anywhere so they're going to suffer through those things dave absolutely i'm not dave but i agree absolutely <laughs> i was just trying to send it back to dave as dave's not the athlete like myself but <laughs> dave is high performing entrepreneur so dave can you imagine taking the stage away from you in so many ways you know, you know what we're talking about you know what we're talking about here uh Neil and Melissa, it's the grief process. You know, anytime we suffer loss, yeah. we go through grief. Right. And a lot of people don't even know what the grief process is or the stages of grief. But, you know, the first one is denial. Oh, my God, this isn't happening. What's going on, you know? And uh, hopefully they get out of that or they become delusional. And then it's, it's bargaining. How can I negotiate my way out of this, you know? And then it's anger and then it's depression. And then, you know, we finally come to the, to the, new, uh, to the new normal. And you've certainly gone through your grief, and that's why you came to your why. You know, your dad's cancer, your emptiness syndrome with your daughter right. leaving you, and then your friend's suicide. My gosh, you know, know. Uh, did you know you were grieving when all of this stuff was going on and that you were going through like your own midlife crisis? I, I think I probably was. I was turning 50, and, you know, I, I think oh my I gosh, probably add was. Add that to the list, yeah. Add that to the <laughs> list, right. So, you know, I think, I think realistically, you know, I was at a point in my life where I had a lot of flexibility and, you know, I could, I could set a big hairy goal, like go find a hundred people that had done this. And I mean, I was terrified to make those first few phone calls. Um, but every, every single person I talked to said, yes, this is an issue. Yes. We need to talk about this. And you know, that, that grieving process is a wonderful way to frame it so that, other people can understand it but you know it's we talk about our kids today and our kids today are different than i was back Truly, in very. 1979 80 <laughs> you know i i yeah i'm not I sure was, if it's good or bad but yeah well that's a whole another podcast we could do another time. oh yeah oh yeah a whole but, other radio show yeah a whole other topic for sure but um you know i think that we need to recognize that our children's dreams are formed by other people early in their childhood. And so they might have an aptitude for basketball or hockey or swimming or skating, but somebody drove that decision to put them in it early in their childhood. And so they become pulled along by a system that they love because they're getting recognized and they're exactly. performing. But when that system collapses, which is what is happening right now. Oh, I could imagine. I mean, their yeah. self-esteem, their self-worth. Oh, gosh. Crashes. I mean, I mean, to think about certain schools in, that couldn't go to March Madness. Right. Those kids that were seniors that cannot play women and men that cannot play. And then for college athletes that their spring season was canceled. The only, right. one of the reasons a lot of these kids, cause their maturity level is that, and I'm, this is such a great topic, Melinda really is. I, I I'm understanding it more and more that I thought of these things, but I feel it as an entrepreneur. 
I hit that thing. And I think everyone has that feeling, but for athletes and kids where they're so structured and scheduled, and we're going to take away everything, even the pro athletes, I think, I feel for them as well, especially in the NBA and uh, major league baseball where, yeah, they're still getting paid. Right. Uh, Yeah. They're doing this, but they're, they're having this downtime really what to do next. And will these uh, things happen again? Uh, Pro wrestling, the WWE and AEW, the two big pro wrestling organizations are wrestling in front of no fans. I mean, this is just a so totally different environment for an athlete. So I'm going to pinpoint it back uh, to another question for Dave, but I think that you have such a great topic in this process. And uh, Dave, go ahead and ask the next question. Well, I was just going to ask, do you think it's a possibility? Because everyone's doing everything online now, right? School's online. Uh, I was going to go to the National Publicity Summit. They're going to do that online. Can we actually do the Olympic Games online? so that there's no audience i mean they can do a presidential debate online i don't is think that so. a, is that a possibility we, we, we don't figure that out the only way we could talk about it is like in front of a no audience right melinda i don't yeah, think right. ever athletes can compete, yeah. can compete online well, unless we figure they'll just be with each other yeah and yes. there's no audience to i'm not to, a fan yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not a fan. Like if they can't run the Olympics the way that it's set up to be run, then they should po- it safely and ensure the participation of all of the officials, all of the athletes, all of the support staff. And then on top of that, all of the fans, then they probably shouldn't run them. And, you know, mm. I am, that's not the lane that I play in. So I, I, I'm coming from an athlete perspective that if I had spent four years trying to make an Olympic team and all of a sudden they're telling me, well, you can go to Tokyo. I don't know what they would do (laughs) with all the support people because that's crowding people. I don't know what they would do with all the people that, you know, live in the dorms in the village. That's, you know, not social distancing. So my opinion is if they can't run them safely and fairly, and I'm going to point out the fairness, I have talked to more people saying they can't train anywhere. So for swimming, for example, you need a swimming pool. There are no swimming pools or very, very few swimming pools that are open. And so you might have, you know, an Olympic training center, or you might have a private pool, but that's few and far between. So if they are thinking of naming a team in swimming based on the top two U.S. athletes or Canadian athletes, that is a significant disadvantage to anybody that can't train right now. And so it has has to be fair for these kids. These kids have put their heart and soul in it from day one back when they were seven or eight years old. Yeah. Uh, You know, we we don't know how long this is going to last. That's the problem. And it's going to last two weeks, please, Dave, please, Dave, two weeks. That's what I'm asking for. Okay. (laughs) Two weeks. But I wouldn't be surprised if baseball or football started doing that just because, you know, it's a billion dollar industry and it's all about, it's all about, as someone said, the Benjamins. Okay. We won't go there either. (laughs) Here's the the consideration I didn't think about. We thought this is an old person's virus. Sorry, Dave. And it's not. And now that the highest percentage came out of Fox news today, the highest percentage of coronavirus in the United States that's hospitalized is between 22 and 40. 
So really, that's because they're not being careful. And yet they usually have an elderly person at home. So that's the connection. I've got elderly people who, who I have a gas station and my young employees have an elderly person at home. And if they get sick, they're going to get sick. Right. But Dave, but these are hospitalization. This is not self quarantine. These uh, younger people are suffering wow. as much from the virus. And that's where we're, where we put our hands up. Now I agree with you, Dave, if you decide to have no audience, I'm, sh I'm not shocked that pro wrestling is willing to share germs and still have all those people and do it <laughs> because guess what? Vince McMahon could care less about his athletes. Uh, so I'm not surprised pro wrestling, especially being in that industry is, is, is at least going with no audience so they don't get sued, but they don't, they know that the wrestlers aren't going to sue each other for someone contracting coronavirus. However, when you talk about athletes that are paid well as baseball, NHL, and also, uh, um, again, um, football, the NBA, all yeah. we're just talking about the three that are right now. Uh, or soccer. The, 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 or soccer, but these three major, they don't want any lawsuits and they don't want to see their players get injured or sick. So really no audience is going to be no option as at all because Melinda Wright, we can contract it still. So the pain you feel right now, Melinda, that as an athlete for these kids can't that, and adults that can't perform, it's got to really hurt you. Right. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, if you think about the athletes that make the millions, they still need meaning in their life. They need to have a purpose. So the millions don't matter anymore for, the basketball, the successful basketball, soccer, um, baseball player, football is a slightly different story because, you know, the young NFL football players, you know, they don't start out making a lot of money, um, but they still need meaning in their life. And yes, they do. And when everything collapses, that meaning disappears. But there's something else that disappears. And I think this is something that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Comparison, judgment, and pleasing. So athletes have been brought up in this environment of comparison. You're on the team, you're off the team. When sports disappears, there's no more comparison. And the comparison gets into far different far greater things than you're on the team you have more likes on social media you know that was the best you know you hit the right. most number of baskets it's it's a part of their dna exactly and they don't think about that they don't think that yep. it's gone the and second that, one right. sorry and you know ahead. this isn't this isn't the only time that this has happened olympics have been canceled before uh, right? I'm, I'm thinking of the uh the germany bombing you know mark spitz and uh yeah, and well, also 1980 in Japan when yeah. when uh, they 80, were, 80 in Russia where they boycotted yeah. the Olympics in '80. I was yeah. part and of these that. These kids were going through the same thing. Oh, you were part of that. Okay, so so did you? Which Olympics did you end up competing in? Sorry, to I was '84. So I oh, so you would have gotten in '80. Would well, you? Well, I don't know. I I can tell you a funny story about that. I was in high school, senior in high school, and I I went. Once we found out that it was canceled, I thought, okay, I'm going to live life for the first time in my, you know, in my athletic career. So I, I still train, but I wasn't nearly as intense. Hence, I didn't make the named 1980 Olympic team. Learn that lesson for everything else in my life. 
All right, Dave, what, what were you going to say? Uh, it, we're having a great conversation with two amazing people, in my opinion, and Dave Nassani and also Melinda Harrison. And I think that the thing that we're learning in all this is the empathy of what's going on. I just see the, the correlation between anyone that works and the athlete, the disappointment. If you have a job you love, and but again, that's sad. A lot of people don't have that percentage, but if they're an entrepreneur and they cannot perform what they do, it really hurts. And I tell you, if I wouldn't do radio, even though that doesn't pay me all of what I make, it's just something I love to do. And if you could take that away, I just say, I just right now, if I could put my kid looking at those athletes, professional wrestlers that are in the minor leagues, that all their shows are canceled, they're not making any money. If I was in that position when I, 25 years ago, or if I was, you know, getting ready to be in the WPL finals, which is Western Pennsylvania's championship game, and they canceled it because of coronavirus, or I was getting ready to play and I played in the state playoffs, and I could not, and then they said, the season's over, guys, it's over. Yeah. I couldn't well, imagine to that level of March Madness. And got teams like Penn State that never have made the tournament next amount of years, and they're told, or Robert Morris that made the NCAA tournament, and then the next day – was told the season's over i mean that stuff's pain and so melinda you're talking about even the athletes that are the highest paid what you're doing in your book and everything is teaching athletes and it looks like that's your your calling card maybe i'm wrong of athletes life after sports how do they connect that to life right right and it's you know i mean really this is the studying athletes really is a, the athlete career is really a compressed version of any other high performers career. And so I didn't go into this project thinking, oh, this is going to apply to other types of careers or high performers. But what I learned out of it was that it absolutely applies. And so when you're going through that time that, you know, I call it the messy middle in the book, when you're going through that messy middle, you too, as somebody that has lost a job or has been transitioned out or hates your job and needs to leave, you still are going to go through this messy middle. Um, or you get divorced or there's a, there's a myriad of things that can happen, a parent dying. You're going to go through this messy middle and it's tough. But what I'm hoping with the book is that using the expression, will flatten the curve of the messy middle. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, um, Melinda, is um, th this starts out as a child, right? You start with a dream or your parents have the dream for you and then you start training. You know, I, I think of the Russian children who basically have no, no childhood. You know, it's just, you know, it's for the good of the country and they have no life, no childhood. And then... Uh, don't they go in it knowing that they're taking risks? They may get cut from the team. Uh, there may be a, a bombing, the coronavirus now. I mean, there are so many risks that will cause them to not fulfill that dream, but yet they go for it. Uh, I guess it's like any dream, you know? It is. And on top of it, they're little kids. And so they want to yeah. please their parents. They want to please their coach. They want to please <clears throat> their teammates Definitely. and the fans when they get better. So the more you please somebody and, and your life becomes this external recognition that, you know, you get clapped on the back. Grandma gives you a hug. Everybody's showing up at your, you know, your little league championship. Those exactly things, they drive the dream, which is great, but it also puts, teaches you that external recognition 
is the way to get approval. And that yes. is a horrible thing to teach no. our kids. It, it's terrible. Mm. And, but these kids today, as we could add another podcast we talked about before, don't know how to handle disappointment like we did. Uh, cutting people on teams, they don't do the cutting anymore as much as they used to. They don't tell people that, you know, everyone, everyone gets a trophy at times. So to get your, the rug pulled out and you have all the training and the hard work to think you're going to finally reach the pinnacle or to be told your season is over. I'm tutoring a, a little girl right now. I mean, she's a little girl. I mean, she's in high school in Ohio and because uh, her softball season was over. And we were busy trying to schedule certain sessions. It's like, oh, it's done. Season's over. And these kids don't understand that there's not going to be those many more seasons for them if they plan on going yeah. to play in college or they're playing in some travel sports. So it's a very big business that will have to be fixed. I think that really the biggest hit after the airlines and travel was the sports industry. And we oh. don't hear anything about that. And the gambling industry, because of all the casinos now that gamble for sports, not just Vegas. Oh, goodness gracious. But real quick, Melinda, before we have to go, I wanted to kind of really talk about your book. Just a quick little summary there about your book and for our listeners to understand how they can pick it up, but also what they'll get out of the book. So um, thank you for that. So the book is divided into three sections. And the first section really focuses on the stories and adventures of how you reach a personal best. And then the second section really focuses on the messy middle. And the third section is the idea is to provide guidance as, as individuals move towards a personal next. It's, um, it, it was written so that people that are going through this experience would say, wow, you know, this individual took the time and understands me that I, I can relate to this. And if I've done it before in a personal best, I can do it again in a personal next. So it really is written to provide hope. You know, we, we as call it middle age, upper middle age uh, individuals have probably gone through many, many transitions. And you know, I like to say success doesn't have a finish line. Um, so keep going through transitions, but understand the process of a transition. Exactly. And figure out how you can make the most of your time here. Well, it's really great. Dave has the final celebrity question for you, Melinda. Go ahead and ask. He's interviewed many different celebrities, New York Times bestselling authors, about a caregiving question. And it's going to end up in a book at one point in time. And uh, so, Dave, go ahead and ask your caregiving question. Well, you know, I've been a caregiver 23 years. My wife had a stroke, uh, lost her speech, became paralyzed. We grieved for a couple of years. Then we reinvented ourselves. She still can't speak but she can communicate non-verbally through Pictionary charades. Still can't walk, but with a power chair, we get uh, all over the country sharing our message to uh, caregivers how to stay alive when 30% uh, of caregivers are dying. And so my question to you, I already know you're a caregiver. You were caring for your father and um, uh, going through the grief yourself. Uh, how, did you, how did you handle that? I mean, did you burn out? Um, tell me your story. So thank you for asking the question and thank you for sharing your story. I didn't know that. And 
you know, I talk about goosebump moments and when I feel that emotional connection with somebody and that it, it, you know, it's a, it's a real conversation. I think the best thing I can say is that when I was going through this with my dad and my father-in-law too, and other individuals, I lost one of my best friends to cancer. Um, mm. You know, I, I was real with that person. I, I didn't try to be, you know, try and cover up the situation. I was always real with them. If they wanted to talk and they were worried about dying, we talked about that. I remember a conversation in the middle of the night in the hospital room about two weeks before my dad died. And he sat up in bed as best he could. He had throat cancer and, and heart cancer. And he sat up in bed as best he could. And he said, I'm worried about your mother. And, you know, he knew he was going to die. We all knew he was going to die, but he needed to have a real conversation at that moment. So I think for caregivers, I think the most important thing is to be for them to be able to have real conversations with the people that I would call their secure base. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're, you're giving space for them to talk. And one of the great coaching questions I have, and this is very applicable in this, in this situation is, is this, if somebody starts to talk to you and they're sharing a story and being vulnerable, ask them, is this a time you just want to talk or, which is good, or do you want to help brainstorm a solution? Because 99% of the time, they don't want a solution. So get out of being answer okay. person and get into listening to them and honoring their vulnerability. Mm. Well said, well said. That's why I set up my website, caregiverdave.com, to give caregivers a place to get support and tools and uh, valuable resources and I've got videos and articles and blogs and just everything they need. It's a membership site. Go there. Uh, anybody who's listening, who's a caregiver, who's feeling like you're burned out, we'll give you a free burnout quiz. We'll give you a free book and we will give you uh, an audio soundtrack to help you sleep at night. So That's thank awesome. you so much for sharing. So thank best you. place we can purchase the book and learn more about you. Where can we go, Melinda? So Amazon, Barnes and Noble in the U.S., uh, Indigo or Amazon in Canada. And then um, I will have other local retailers, which I always like to support on my website as the book launch gets closer. But you can pre-order right now on Amazon. Well, fantastic. I'll have to have you back on, Melinda, to talk just about the book in general. Great topic to give us this uh, mindset. But I mean, really, with athletes, I feel so bad. Uh, for athletes today, but I also feel I, in the final closing, is I got to go back upstairs to my six kids that are all at home, five kids in school <laughs> right now at the house, is we have all been thrown a big curve. How do we respond to this curve, and how will our generation change due to what we were thrown into? And for entrepreneurs that are all suffering right now, yeah. They feel that same disappointment of who can they prospect and sell tomorrow. And I recommend everyone to learn a new skill and to yeah. create relationships. And this time will pass. It's staying the course. And if your industry was destroyed because of this and you know it's destroyed, learn something new. 
because you'll feel better about it that you have more skills than you think. So I, 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 that's my kind of ending for the Neil Haley show today. And uh, uh, thanks again for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show when we'll be back in just a moment.